I'm Brandon Hull, and this is Freelance to Founder. I built 200 of these websites, all with the goal of, can they make a dollar a day? And um, they, maybe 200 times, you know, $1 a day, they were doing more than that on, on average. Yeah, by, by the time I quit my job, I was making more than $10,000 a month from these little uh, niche websites in early 2011. Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining me for a new episode of Freelance to Founder. If you're new to the podcast, this is a show where I talk to entrepreneurs of all kinds, marketing agency leaders, online course builders, physical product inventors, software developers, even podcasters, all varieties. And what makes my guests unique is that in many cases, they started these pursuits as little side projects or freelance gigs. But they ultimately took on a whole new life and scaled far beyond the founder's expectations and definitely bigger than themselves. Today, I talked to Spencer Hawes, founder of NichePursuits.com or Niche Pursuits, if you're so inclined. I mean, we'll butcher bonjour and au revoir without a second thought, but let's make sure we say niche by all means. But I digress. Spencer knows blogging, he knows SEO, and he knows niche websites a lot. He's a keyword master. He also knows scale. And because plenty of people have built singular niche websites and monetized them, including me a few years ago, actually, I launched, grew, and sold nextrestaurants.com. But Spencer is a guy you can safely follow and learn from at nichepursuits.com because he's built over 200 highly focused websites that do extremely well with Google searches. He's got a system, to say the least. But he's also built some complimentary products along the way. Link Whisper, Table Labs, Longtail Pro. Show notes will point you to these cool offerings. In this episode, you'll get to know Spencer, why he escaped the world of finance, and some would say a pretty secure job by all external accounts, in order to build these niche websites. What did his wife think about this decision, you might be wondering. We even broached that subject, risk and decision-making. You got to hear it. You'll find out how he got going in this world and how he discovered the formula. And he shares it with us for building these types of sites and what's changed over the 10 years he's been doing it. Seriously, you'll get his main points for doing this. And you know I want you to stick around to the end because I bring you not only an insightful three-in-one segment, it pulls on the heartstrings just a bit. All right, that's your setup. Let's dig into our episode with Mr. Spencer Haas, founder of nichepursuits.com. Hey guys, you've got enough tough decisions to make every month as you grow your business. Picking your next great book to read should not be one of them. With Book of the Month, you can forget about the hassle of browsing through endless shelves or scrolling infinitely through an overwhelming amount of book options online. Book of the Month simplifies the process of finding the next great thing to read by offering a carefully selected lineup of five to seven titles to pick from each month. From gripping thrillers to heartwarming romance and everything in between, I'm personally really excited about this new announcement from Book of the month, curated audiobooks. Since you're listening to podcasts, I assume that you like audiobooks and you're like me, you're more of a downloader than a page turner. And this is your moment. I'm right here with you. I've picked out my selections for March already and you can too. Joining book of the month is super easy, very affordable. Plus for a limited time, new members can get their first book for just $9.99 with code CHIRP. Visit bookofthemonth.com now to pick your next great read. That's bookofthemonth.com with promo code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P, or click the link in our show description. When you wake up in the morning and check your phone, does it feel like this or like this? Because with Shopify, your morning can feel like this way more often. That's the sound of a sale being made on your new Shopify store, and while client payments may require weeks or months of work, you can start generating a semi-passive income to grow your business by setting up a Shopify store all of your own. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your latest designs on shirts or bags or adding something totally different to your business, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. You can sell online, you can sell in person, wherever and whatever you're selling, 
Shopify has got you covered. With Shopify, you can set up your store in minutes and start selling immediately. And Shopify's award-winning support is there to help you as you go. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash freelance. That's all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash freelance to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash freelance, or click the link in our show description and start waking up to this. Mr. Spencer Hawes, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining me on Freelance to Founder. Thanks, Brandon. It's great to be here. Great to connect. It is. Uh, we've known each other for a couple of years loosely now. Uh, I've been aware of your work for for quite some time beyond that. And um, you are, as a few people have been recently, you are the perfect definition of running from freelance, not running, I'm sure, in your mind, but moving from freelancer to founder, from a freelance guy to, uh, to a full-time founder with numerous projects underway that I will have just mentioned in our intro. And I'm excited to talk about them. But if you if you were to level set for us right now and just kind of explain where the business is today, what can you tell listeners about where uh, Niche Pursuits as an umbrella uh, for all of your enterprises is today? Yeah, and I do look at it kind of like an umbrella, right? So I've got uh, nichepursuits.com, which is the core. I'm blogging there. i am you know, got a lot of things connected with that. So there's Niche Pursuits. Uh, that you know makes money through affiliate revenue and some products that I sell, um, and those products that are tied to Niche Pursuits are a WordPress plugin that I recently launched in the last uh, couple of months called Link Whisper. So that's one of them. Uh, then I've got another software tool called Table Labs that I sort of put under this Niche Pursuits umbrella because I, I sell it to the same audience that's reading the blog there. Um, and then I've been doing a public niche uh, site case study, and the website there is ownedtheyard.com. Um, you know, I've been building a niche site in front of people. It's now making you know between a thousand and thirteen hundred dollars a month, which is great. I love that. Uh, and then uh, in the last year and a half, about a year and a half ago, I made two acquisitions of websites. Um, and uh, we can talk more about those. But yeah, made those acquisitions. I'm running those as well. So that's kind of in total where my business is um, right now. I was just trying to think if I missed anything else. That That's pretty much it. Long, long, long Tail Pro? Yeah, long Tail Pro, of course, uh, is still there. I, I sold Long Tail Pro about three years ago, but yeah. I still own um, 20% of that, actually. Right. Um, I don't do anything day-to-day, which is nice. So my work involves just you know checking to make sure I get my quarterly uh, royalty payment there for the most part. I <laughs> right. do a little bit more. I do some calls every now and again. But so, how do you measure success um, and now as a founder? How do you measure success across all of these different properties? Uh, let's call them. So uh, I hate to say it, but success is measured certainly in bottom line income uh, first and foremost. Uh, you know that's reassuring, uh, but. Yeah, you know, you still got to look at that. Uh, so I look at, you know, are all of my expenses and uh, being met, you know, do I have enough income for my family, my employees, etc. cetera. Uh, but beyond that, I think I do measure success a lot in, do I have balance in life as well? So is this business providing me the income so that I have the ability to you know, coach my kids little league team, which I'm doing right now. Do I have, you know, to, to go to the events that my kids have and have time for my wife, um, things like that. So that's really how I measure success is not just bottom line, but, uh, do I also have the freedom of my day to do something besides work on the business? And as far as those measurements go, the ones you just outlined, would you just generally give niche pursuits as an umbrella business? We'll call it niche pursuits, even though we recognize, you know, includes all of these other brands as well. Give it a thumbs up as far as how it's doing versus you having a day job. Uh, just what is it? Eight, seven or eight years ago or something like that in the finance world. Um, how would you rate life as a founder now? It is just night and day. It's, it's whatever highest level on the scale you can get compared to having a day job. Um, you know, working at a day job behind a desk, you're working for somebody else, you know, I was in a job and financially was doing okay, but didn't really have the freedom to work on what I wanted to work on. And 
Um, you know, I, I'm an idea person. Um, I didn't have the creative outlet to explore those ideas when I'm working a full-time job. So now that I work for myself and have the ability to create a new software tool like Link Whisper, if I want to do that, um, I have the time and energy and ability to do that. It It's just completely the other side of the coin um, in terms of freedom. Um, financial, you know, income is significantly more than when I was working at a daytime job as well. Um, and honestly, I have a lot more time in my day, um, because I make my own hours. So it's, it's amazing. It's great. It sounds like the dream scenario here. It pretty much is, you know, I have to pinch myself. It, it, it really is. And, and, um, I hate to sort of say it like that, that this is the dream scenario because, you know, day to day, we're all pretty hard on ourselves. I work on my business. It's like, ah, oh, why wasn't I more productive? Why didn't I do this? I could do this better or that better. But when I go and talk to my friends or neighbors and hear about their jobs, I remember, you know what? I really probably am living the dream scenario right now. <laughs> when, you, when you take a look at, oh, you have to deal with that. You have to actually put in time off requests. Oh, wait, you've run out of time off requests available. Oh, you have to report at 8 a.m. even though you're feeling this way. I mean, when you when you compare to a tale of the tape of of your friends' situations, it's not quite as uh you don't you don't really miss any of that it sounds like. That's funny. So, we go back in time. You were you uh you got your undergrad in finance, uh went to Brigham Young University. You then went on to Arizona State University and got your MBA as well. And there's so many debates, of course. So we're talking about like 12 years ago, uh, between 12 and 14 years ago. I know your, your dad uh, became an entrepreneur well into his career. But when we go back in time, maybe a little further than when that happened, did the idea of working for yourself really cross your mind as a likely outcome of getting your undergrad and then maybe getting your MBA before you ever went down that, down that path officially? You know, I would have to say that before college, no, it probably never really crossed my mind. Um, I, no, I mean, I, I didn't really know a lot of entrepreneurs or it, it just wasn't um, something that I was familiar with. You know, all my, my uncles and, and my dad, you know, he was a civil engineer. I knew lots of engineers and other people that, you know, you, you worked a day job. So no, um, it, it didn't ever really cross so my mind. It's, was it, was, did it take your dad stepping out on his own for you to, for it to start to pop into your mind that maybe in your mind that, that maybe that's another path that I could explore or were you still thinking good for him? He's inspiring, but I'm still going to go to the, this typical path. You know, I still need to kind of lock down the, the typical career, career path. Yeah, no, I would definitely give uh, him a lot of credit for helping to plant that seed for me. Um, you know, I will say that growing up, I, I was somewhat entrepreneurial. You know, I would have friends over and, and you know, charge them to, you know, do carnivals or play certain <laughs> video games. We would set up we would set up sort of a refrigerator box around our TV. So it was like an arcade. Right. We'd charge them, you know, so, so I did sort of fun little things that I would make little money, uh, a little bit of money from, but I never, again, never thought about it as a career. You know, I was just a kid trying to make money for candy. Right. Right. right? So it was woven into you, but it, it wasn't like it was in front of you as a, as the path that you wanted to follow. Right. Absolutely not. And so some, somewhere along the way, you know, I don't know if it was just my dad, but somewhere along the way, uh, the thought that, you know, people actually can't, don't have to go through this traditional, you know, career, corporate life. There, there's an opportunity to, to do that. And at, at some point, and again, I, I have to probably uh, say that it was my dad when he went out and started his business. Um that that seed was planted and it sort of grew and took several years, but uh, eventually, yep, I did this. All right. So you get your degree, you go back to school, a different school, but you go back to school and get your MBA. Great institutions, by the way, uh, they're very well regarded and you get, a, you start your career 
at Merrill Lynch uh, as a client associate. I think you were there a couple few years before moving on to Wells Fargo. Just the chronological storyline goes that you were there. You did some side projects on the side with niche with niche per, actual niche pursuits. Um, you actually had some niche pursuits that you were exploring, <laughs> right. building websites and so forth, and broke off. Like that's the storyline, and that's the the one that you've shared mm-hmm. elsewhere and is apparent. Um, through even just a casual search. I guess the question that I have for you, rather than make you tell that story all over again, though, is what was it about your day job or what was it about the the thrill of the, the side pursuits that made you, you know, keep that that ball rolling while you had what from other external views would be considered a solid, secure day job going on in a, an industry that's never going to be disrupted too much, right? Banking. Uh, finance. So what was it about either what was missing from the day job or what was so appealing with these side pursuits that you, you know, you continued after them while you, uh, while you had those day jobs? Yeah. So I guess one thing that I don't think was missing that you touched on is the financial right. security, right? It, it was there. I had a good job. Uh, so that wasn't missing. I wasn't looking for more per se. It wasn't like, oh, I, I need a, a better income. That, that wasn't it. It, it was more the typical picture I felt, you know, I'm sitting in a cubicle right. all day long. I'm talking to customers about, you know, getting a business loan or setting up a business checking account. Like I, I'm not really passionate right. about those things, right? That they were a job, you know, I was fulfilling a requirement. And so my autonomy and my creative um, abilities were stifled, right? I, you know, I work I, you know, I worked at Wells Fargo for a long time and I'm a peon in the machine of Wells Fargo. It's not like my ideas matter or are going to change anything that's happening there. Um, Sure. If I worked there for 30 years, I might get to a position where eventually I could make changes within the organization. But actually, now that I think about it, talking to a lot of business customers, um, maybe my dad planted the seed, but talking to all these entrepreneurs and business customers for six, seven, eight years, um, they sort of mm. watered that seed and and grew. And I was talking to guys that I remember even a couple of them later on in my career ran online businesses. And it was so fascinating. And it was so rare, you know, in 2004 right. or whatever it was to, to find these people. And, and I could see their bank accounts. I'm like, you're doing well, like this is legit. You can really, you know, work for yourself online. And so, yeah, the, just not having the autonomy um, and uh, not really making an impact, that was really a factor. You know, I, I, I wanted that ability. I felt like I have great ideas. I needed a place to explore those. So there's plenty of people out there and uh, who would have had creative outlets to explore that side of themselves, hobbies and so forth. You found it in something that your background doesn't show that you had an interest or expertise in building sites for people, building websites for yourself, actually, not even for other people, which is what plenty of people do. People may feel like, gosh, I just love the idea of what the web can be. And I want to build websites for other people. And I've talked to numerous founders that that's what they did during college is build websites for other people. Your, yours is different. Like you not only didn't just have a hobby, you were building, the, well, maybe it was at first you were seeing it that way, but you're building sites for yourself, yeah. it sounds like, to see what you were, what mm-hmm. was possible with them. Where did that get started to begin with? Um, well, you have to, I have to think about the time period as well, right? I, I'm in college, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002, uh, the dot-com boom and bust yep. is happening. And so that's a, that's a big part of it. I mean, the internet was, you know, the web 2.0 was just coming around and, that, that was a big deal. So that was um, that was always in the forefront of my mind. And so actually having the ability really for the first time to search and find other people online talking about these things. I, I do think that um, that's, that's probably where a lot of it stemmed is that finally, I didn't know what right. type of business to start. So I started searching online for things. And at some point, somehow I stumbled along that um, you know, building websites might be a good idea. That that people were actually um, you know making money right. doing this. Um, I'm I'm just I'm trying to think of my very earliest business ideas because certainly I didn't start with I'm going to build a niche site and make money from Google AdSense. 
But at some point it evolved to that. And I'm trying to remember, you know, why that is exactly. I I had tried other little business ideas, selling things on eBay, you know, creating little little things and, right. and nothing ever really took off. So this is probably 10 ideas in. I'm like, you know what? Let's try this online thing. But I, I never wanted to take on clients. Uh, never wanted to uh, do, I don't know, I maybe because I always had clients at Wells Fargo in my day job. I wanted something that didn't require my, you know, I, right. I didn't want to be tied to clients. I wanted to create something that I knew would give me the freedom right. to work on it. Of course, we fast forward into the future and that's exactly what you have. <laughs> you do have clients uh, with at least yeah. well, you, when, when Longtail Pro got going and you've got well, clients. It's okay. a different, totally different type of environment than a different totally. client than like right, web right. consulting is what I'm saying. You know, I'm not going to build a website for somebody that wants it custom done. It's like, I got a <laughs> yeah, product. Yeah, if yeah. you want to buy it, buy it. As self-serve right? as possible, <laughs> is, I'm sure. But so when you did embark upon this idea of building your own sites, did, did, and you saw other people doing it, did you see the types of sites they were building and just think, I could do that? I'm not a developer, but I, I could build that. It looks like there's enough tools floating around out there. WordPress was coming into its own by that uh, time. Um, do you remember just kind of thinking, yeah, I can do that? That's, that's learnable. Um, I thought it was learnable. Um, I, and I certainly wasn't trying to build anything beautiful. Right. So I knew, like, I knew for sure I could never build a beautiful website, right? Like I, that was never a goal of, of mine or anything like that. Um, it was more about how can I make money from a website, not can I build a good looking website? So I, I felt like, yes, I can learn how to build a website that makes money. I didn't ever feel like I could learn to build a website that looks phenomenal. And I never did. I never have, right? I hire people to do that, right? I, I don't have that skill. All right, Brandon, jumping in here, cutting into the interview to highlight something that Spencer just said there, because we don't go into much detail at this moment in the conversation uh, the way I wish we had in hindsight. But he makes a great point here, and it starts to highlight the importance of having systems in place. It's Spencer's not saying here that having an ugly website is his MO. It's not part of his process to have ugly niche websites. It's that he found out early on that's not a skill set he has. He's going to farm that out. He will spend his time on making an impact in other ways, and he'll leave the design aspects of the websites to other people. He'll find people that can bring that skill set to the table. All right, back to the interview. Uh, when I first started, I actually was, believe it or not, used Word, and there, they had an HTML um, little component as part of that. And I think front page a little bit, uh, but then yes, in 2005, 2006, WordPress came along and that's when I really built my first blog. That's when you realized, okay, okay. Somebody has made a publishing tool that the average yes. person can use without learning HTML. And, and free themes, right? Like I, I didn't custom anything. I just clicked the free theme, install, done. Right. We're talking now 14 years ago or so, number of, a number of years ago, quite some time back. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember the first steps you took as you built some of these sites? Like, what, what did you do? It's one thing to build a site. It's another thing to now go about the process of getting, you know, traffic to it and, uh, and getting that pe the people to visit that site to do what you want them to do, whether it's enroll in a course, buy a product, or just click on an ad even. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the first uh, the first couple of few sites that you were building and, and what that process was like for generating traffic. I want, you ask, I want to ask about what you did in the past because clearly a lot of that has had to evolve over the years. But what, was thing, what were things like back then as far as building a site and getting traffic uh, to, to, to get to it and do what you wanted to do at it? Yeah. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, 
86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn jobs. I've used it myself and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. You hear us talking on the show all the time about social media and the importance of marketing yourself online as you grow your business. That's because social has played a huge role in both of our businesses as we've grown them, but actually getting customers from your social accounts to your website and ultimately to make a purchase can sometimes be more difficult than it should be. If you need a simple solution, I recommend you try getting a .bio domain from Porkbun. That's .bio, .bio. You can put it in your LinkedIn bio. You can put it wherever you want to put it so that people can get directly to your website. We've partnered with Porkbun a lot over the years for two reasons. First of all, we trust them and they offer better deals on domain names than anyone else that we know about. And right now you can get a .bio domain name for less than $3 at Porkbun. So for less than a cup of coffee, you can get a short, memorable, and professional .bio domain name to share yourself with the world. Just visit porkbun.com slash freelance or click the link in this episode's description. That's P-O-R-K-B-U-N.com slash freelance and you can get a .bio domain for $3 right now. So let's call it uh, 2006 to 2009, where I'm mostly learning, right? So I built my first site, uh, first blog, uh, knew nothing about search engines, th- th- pretty much this entire time, 2006, 2009. I, I just, I, I didn't get it. That's, am- right, that's, that's amazing. It, it just um, didn't, you're saying it didn't click with you so much? I mean, you knew all those things were important, but just how to master them? Is that what it mean, What you mean? Right, right. Yeah. I, I didn't fully understand. And I think if you rewind the clock, I think everybody was in a similar state. Sure. In fact, most people, the general population, still doesn't understand why a website shows up first in Google. For sure. I had no clue. Nobody else did. Um, and nobody I talked to, you know, Google organic traffic wasn't even a thing. Like it never crossed my mind <laughs> that, that people would find my website right, that way. Right. Uh, so it was mostly, I would go to a lot of other people's blogs and comment mm-hmm. on their blogs and interact. They would visit and I would hope a few readers would read my super useful comment right. and come visit. I remember doing Yahoo answers to try and get traffic. Wow. I would answer questions. Um, and so I, just a lot of that. Um, and I, I, again, this is all a side project. I'd be lucky if I worked one or two hours a week yeah. on a lot of these things. Never got very much traffic. I don't remember what the traffic levels were, but I doubt I ever hardly got more than 10 visitors in a day. Um, That's incredible. You know, but made a little bit of money, right? So right. Uh, maybe never more than $100 a month um, in that three year period. But so when did the tide turn? The tide must've turned at some point in time because not to let go of the big reveal here, but it was, it was March, 2011 when you said goodbye officially to the day job and went all in on your niche pursuits. Right. So mm-hmm. when did you, when would you say the tide was turning for you to realize that, Oh, I'm onto something here. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know the exact time, but let's, let's say, um, you know, 2008 is probably when I started to go, okay, there's, there, there's Google and how do I get traffic from Google? And so there was a lot, there was a I spent a lot of time just researching forums, warrior forum, reading other blogs, anybody that was talking about finally, when I understood, okay, Google's important. You can get traffic from Google. I'm tired of seeing one visitor a day, two visitors a day. Right. And so I finally latched onto the idea of, okay, this is important. And then spent, you know, all of 2008, let's call it figuring out and just learning and, and tried a couple of little, you know, other little sites, but it was at some point in 2009, I finally said, you know what, I've got this blog and my, the original blog that I created was like a finance blog. It was, you know, how to budget, how to get out of debt, you know, that's what I did at my day job. So I talked about it on my blog. Um, I finally decided, you know what? I'm. This is way too competitive. I'm never going to rank in Google for how to get out of debt or whatever it was or credit right. cards. Uh, and that's kind of when the light bulb, you know, through that research of how Google works, the light bulb went on. I go, you know what? Let's try something that is just 
appears to be really easy to rank in Google for. Let's create a really small niche website and see what happens. Uh, and so that was, you know, in 2009, I created a website on worm farms and I created a website on Buffalo Nichols. Worm farms I was trying to and rank. Buffalo Nichols. Yep. Two different little websites, a couple of articles each, maybe, maybe, you know, five articles each on each website, just targeting these very small phrases. And lo and behold, after a few months, they started to show up in Google. And instead of getting, you know, a maximum of 10 visitors a day on a website I've been working on for three years, all of a sudden they're starting to get 30, 40, 50 visitors a day. I'm like, whoa. And by the way, okay. it sounds like these are the first two sites. Uh, they're not certainly not the first two sites you built, um, but they are the first two sites maybe that you built specifically with Google in mind. Um, like yes. you had built sites before 100%. and w if people happen to discover them or you drove people to visit them and you can monetize them somehow, that's great. But these are the first ones that you went into it thinking, okay, let's choose a topic or something that I could build a subject, a, a website around. And I know something about, I assume you know something about these two subjects. No, mm, no. <laughs> okay. So really. we'll get into that next. No, but you, you realize that you could build a site based on something people are searching for and optimize for that specific behavior. Incredible. Exactly. The whole point was I'm getting traffic from Google. That's the only way I'm going to get traffic and we're going to try it once. Okay, so let's all. so how did you choose uh, worm farms and buffalo nickels then given that? Okay, so let's so how did you choose worm farms and buffalo nickels then given that? Just uh, keyword research, right? I had read um, all these forums that keyword research is super important. At the time, it was the Google, it's not, it wasn't a keyword planner, whatever. I Google AdWords tool, I think is what it was called. You know, their free keyword tool. So I used that to get the search volume. I would look at who's ranking on the first page of Google and start to look at, okay, I understood now. Links are important. How many links do those websites have pointing to them? How old are these websites? I did all of this analysis on lots and lots of keywords. And that's when I finally said, okay, I think I've got worm farms and this Buffalo nickel. They look like they're easy. Let's right. give it a shot. I want to be on the first page of Google. That's all I'm going for. Let's and I assume because the subjects were unique enough, and this is still 10 years ago, that you discovered well, I think you said within three months, you're able to find ways, certain keywords that you could be discovered under right out of the gates, first page, right? Yeah. Yep. Long tail keywords, you know, writing articles on, that are targeting very specific phrases. Um, you know, worm farms maybe was one, but then, and I don't remember what the longer phrase sure. was, you know, how to start a worm farm. Right. I don't know. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, with, within a few months, they started to rank in Google. And my goal with this experiment was if I can just make one to two dollars a day uh, with these little websites and get on the first page of Google, I'll call it a success. And and uh, they they did they they made that money and even a little bit more, right? I, I they were maybe making a hundred bucks a month each, and that that was more than my other website that I had spent years on, right? Right. right. Uh, and so I decided, okay. Let's scale this idea. Let's um, see how many keywords we can target. And at the time, I should clarify that at the time, having an exact match domain or keywords in the domain was very important. That was a big deal. Yep. That was a big deal. So I decided, okay, I'm going to find lots of other keywords where I can find either the exact match domain or, you know, close to the exact match domain. And I'm going to build as many of these little small websites and hope they each make $1 a day. So the goal was not to expand those two out where they're consuming hours per week, maybe combined even. It was, okay, how can I take this small little micro success and scale it across numerous topics, themes, and therefore keywords instead of just going deep on those two that you built? Correct. Interesting. Correct. So, so how did that, what did you spend the next six months building 10 of them, 12 of them? What happened? Yeah. So. Um, Yes, from 2009 to 2011, and I don't remember exactly when I scaled, right. know, 2010, whatever, but between those two years, I built about 200 of these small little 
niche websites. I, I went all in. I mean, when Holy after I built smokes. the first two, yeah, maybe I did 10 more and, you know, half of those worked and like 50% hit rates good enough for me. Let's do even more. So yes, I built 200 of these websites all with the goal of, can they make a dollar a day? And, um, they maybe 200 times, you know, $1 dollar a day. Um, they were doing more than that on, on average. Yeah. By, by the time I quit my job, I was making more than $10,000 a month from these little uh, niche websites in early 2011. Unbelievable. So I knew you were at least at that level when you quit your day job, that part, I knew that it came across 200 sites. I did not know that is mind blowing. Yes. The question I think that would be on many people's mind is how were you staying on top of that many sites? You know, between security updates to it, like a word, if they were, if many of them were WordPress sites, security updates to design tweaks that you want to make to placement of ads, you know, Google AdSense locations. Like, how did you stay on top of all that? Yeah, you know, I'm embarrassed to say, but most of these were set it and forget it. I Incredible. never went back to these sites. And, really? You know, I put up five articles on a site, get all the ads in place. And at, at, at this point, I mean, to do 200, I didn't personally go and put the ads and write the articles I had hired. Once I saw that it was working, I, I outsourced all of this virtually. My All that I did was find the keywords. I'd say, okay, here's five keywords on you know worm farms. Hire the author to do it. I had somebody else actually build anyways. So it was pretty hands-off. I built out a system to do it. Um, I would never go back and update WordPress or tweak or even look at the website. But right? you, I mean, um, it wasn't a concern back then. And and clearly you have systems in place for maintenance and things like that. Today, it's just a, it's just a different, yes. it's a different time, obviously. It's a different time. Right. I should have been more concerned. Yes. But I was an entrepreneur. I was going all in. Okay. Even though you outsourced a lot of this work, anytime you would spin up a new site, and need to find something that could write to, you know, that takes a time in and of itself. It does. So mm -hmm. forget all the how-to questions for a minute. You're married at this point. Yes. You, uh, you maybe even have one child <laughs> early on. You've got three now, but maybe you had one child at this point. This is yeah, seven so years Yeah, so by end. 2011, we had uh, two children. Two kids. No, three. No, we had three. Okay, you had three. By 2011. All right. We, we have four kids now. Okay, so back then... What kind of, again, I know you, I realize it was a lot of set and forget it, but because we just mentioned that there's the spin up time that you've got to get something launched and, and kick it off and all that sort of thing. How much time in any given week did it require for you to pour into this burgeoning business? Yeah. So when I was really going all in, I mean, I was getting up early before work, you know, putting an hour in. Uh, and then after work as much as I could, you know, let's call it maybe a couple hours, you know, late after the kids would go to bed. So I was probably putting in, you know, a good almost three to four hours a day um, when I could, you know, um, in, into the business. Yeah. And, it, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, it's set it and forget it. But there's also things like you got to build some links. Of course. And, yep. You know, hire people to do that. And, you know. Anyways, th there are some minor tweaks that you still make. So, so yeah, it was, um, you know, call it 15 to 20 hours a week that I was putting in after my full-time job. Right. So at this point, then, as we get to 2011, you are, you're doing over six figures on the, on your side business, which, ex mm -hmm. and you're exceeding your day jobs income, um, which sounds yep. like a dream scenario for a lot of people, right? You're, you're doing sure. uh, well over 200,000 a year in total income at that point. And I'm sure some people just think, why mess with a good thing? You've got a system down. It's only requiring a certain amount of time from you on a, on a, even on the side, but you made the decision to forego that secure source of income. Well, by traditional measures, that secure source of income and yeah. go the much yep. more risky route, supposedly, right? Uh, as an entrepreneur, <laughs> right? Walk me through that decision. T tell me specifically, not just how you arrived at it in a practical, logical manner, but uh, you've got a spouse and you've got two, you've got three kids that are counting on you at this point uh, to provide for them. How emotionally did you sort through that decision on your own and with your wife? It was a huge decision. Uh, it's not easy to give up. Believe it or not, health insurance is like the big sticking point. Like, I, I don't know how that works, right? And so uh, I knew I wanted to do it because I, 
working in a cubicle, like it just was not for me. Uh, certainly at this little soul sucking. You've had a taste of, yes, you've had a taste of success. You know, I didn't want to go back there. Certainly spent a lot of time talking with my wife about this decision. And, you know, it wasn't like it all of a sudden one month I made, you know, $10,000 and said, okay, I'm going to quit tomorrow. Um, It had been a few months after it gone three, four, five months. I'm like, okay, sustainable. things are going well and I'm building more sites. Um, We've now got a nest egg. And that was important. I I had sort of said, okay, I want to have six months of expenses and savings. I want to know that I'm making more than my day job. I've sort of checked those two boxes, but then, yeah, the emotional decision is, is next. Um, And so I just sitting down with, with my wife and we'd talked a lot about this. Um, She was super supportive. I mean, she, really felt like, I mean, she was nervous. She's not a risk taker at all, but she could see that I wasn't happy at my day job, that I was much happier talking about and doing this side business. Um, And so she felt like that would be, you know, a good thing to allow me to sort of enjoy what I'm doing. But also she trusted me. She's like, all right, you're the financial, you know, wizard in the house. (laughs) When it comes to finances, you make the decisions. Like I trust you. Do you really believe this is a good financial decision? Uh, and so she left it up to me and she said, you know what? I'll be happy with whatever you decide. Um, and of course, I talked to my parents. I talked to my yeah. brother. I talked to friends, neighbor, whoever. And I always just came back to, I may never have another opportunity in my life to try this. And if I don't do it now, I may never get that opportunity. Um, and worst case scenario, I've got a degree. I've got an MBA. I've got experience. I can always go back and get a job, right? It's scary to say quit job, but people apply to jobs all the time. Like I could get another job. So that was the one thing in the bag that's like, I'm not saying goodbye forever necessarily to the corporate world. That security could come right back in six months if I, if I needed it. That's fascinating. Um, I'm really curious though. Now that let's call it day one, even if it wasn't a day one, (laughs) um, on day one, as a now a self-employed an entrepreneur, you have you you are officially diving into your business full time as your thing. You wake up that morning and you're sitting down at the computer, um, and you don't have the one hour before you got to go run to the office. Uh, the whole day is yours. Um, and I'm saying this again somewhat uh, figuratively, but what were what were those day first days like? How did you decide how you would spend your time and how you would um, when to shut the day off and things like that? What was life like as an entrepreneur? And how did it differ from when you were doing the very same work, but in your available time? Yeah, so I pretty quickly uh, set a normal work schedule for myself. I work well between eight and five, you know, like I always had. So honestly, it felt like I had a lot more time in my day. I worked eight to five from home. And then I didn't have a side business. You know, I didn't have to get up early. I didn't have to work evenings anymore. I worked eight to five. Um, And uh, so it was a a lot more freedom. And then how did I decide what to work on? Um, You know, I still don't know that I decided (laughs) that, you know, 100% uh, at this point. But by the time I had quit my job, I had already started a blog about, you know, how to build niche websites. So that was going. So I spent more time blogging about what I was doing. Hey, I quit my job. Like I'm doing this full time. And, um, you know, sharing, started sharing that story. Um, I had already started long tail pro actually before I quit my day job. And so I had a lot of, you know, things going on before I'd even quit my job. So I finally had time to focus on long tail pro focus on niche pursuits and just keep scaling the, yep, the niche yep. website. There's so many things that I think a, um, Somebody who's doing it your way, where you're built, you're building it in a systematic way, or somebody who's building a specific blog, let's say that they see as more than a blog that has a niche topic and wanting to monetize. There are a lot of similarities on how they should go about that process. You outsourced a fair amount of it, although niche pursuits is yours. Obviously, it's kind of like your hub for all of that. Um, so some of the mm-hmm. tasks might be similar, and some of the things that a person needs to do well, or at least understand well that they outsource to somebody else uh, are similar. And, and examples I'm thinking of are 
Um, geez, if I'm going to build this on, should I build this on WordPress? If so, is there a theme that I should use that is perfectly optimized for exactly what I want this site to do? Are there certain hooks that I would need to have built into the site so it it converts people to do whatever I want them to do, whether it's click on ads, uh, you know, take advantage of my course or buy my digital products, whatever it is. Is that was that on your radar? Was that something that was important to you? Was like the strategy for what the experience would be of a visitor? Did that factor into it? Or were there other issues? Were there just systematic issues that you were focused on since you did so much work that was outsourced? Well, it kind of depended on the website that I was working on. So, 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 you know, the bulk niche websites, there wasn't a lot of that user experience that, you know, I wasn't worried very much about that. That was more about, yeah, making the strategic, um, you know, moves. On the other hand, niche pursuits and certainly long tail pro. Yes. I was very focused on how am I optimizing, um, customers, customer value, long-term value, um, and building a software company. So, so that's where most of my hands-on tweaking of website and copy and themes and buttons and, you know, I, I did a lot there for sure. As time has gone by since you went, uh, you went live with your own business in 2011. That's eight years ago. What have you? Would you say that you have become an absolute subject matter expert in? And what are the areas that you still leave up for? You're open minded about that you think are still areas to be explored, and you need to learn or you want mastery in. How have you progressed as an entrepreneur in that time? So I would consider myself uh, an expert, if you can call it that, at keyword research and search engine optimization. Uh, That has been the common thread through all of my businesses, all of them, right? So even though now I'm not building hundreds of little niche websites, the skills that I learned back in 2008, 2009, on how Google works, how to do keyword research, how to optimize content for Google. Like that is the common thing that has led to directly to the success of nichepursuits.com to even longtailpro.com. Um, you know, I had a blog on Longtail Pro and how did people find it? Google, right? That That is a huge factor uh, in success. So certainly that that's where my expertise lies. Uh, where, where am I um, not as good at and where do I hope to get better? Uh, I'm not very good with paid traffic. Um, I'd like to get better there, building out better um, paid traffic funnels. Um, I think I've missed a lot of opportunity over the years of getting in cold traffic and converting those uh, potential customers into paying customers. And uh, What's neat too about this is I think there's a lot of people who might feel like, oh, I build niche websites and I do relatively well as well. What's I think unique about your story is as an outsider who knows a little bit about niche websites, looking into your story, not knowing you intimately and all the sites that you've built, I actually respect that most of these sites are not public. And I, and I say that because with that many sites, and I don't know if you have that many sites, do you have that many sites live now? No, I mean, we can talk about the evolution, but certainly no. Okay. So what, where I was going with that was um, with so many of the sites not being publicly listed, you know, on nichepursuits.com or something. I have respect for that because the, the reality is they're all, they're all like a test, you know, they're, they're all experiments and mm-hmm. some are going to be really unique focused keyword topics that do extremely well. And others are going to be v- very unique, rare keyword topics that are just as rare. Like the search volume for a certain term might be the same as your other one, but for whatever reason, those sites just don't convert the same way. So I can see that there's just some experiments, you know, and sometimes you can Mm -hmm. really peg why some do well. Some of the niche sites do well for you. And sometimes it might just be a little black magic and you just don't, you can't say what, what did so well with this topic versus another one, right? Yep. That is certainly true. So over time, I think it's fascinating that you have, that the umbrella of what niche pursuits is and how Spencer Hawes makes his money has um, diversified with Longtail Pro, with a software product, which it specifically serves you as an ideal customer um, and people like you, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the idea of launching software products is so different and supporting them and all of that from, versus running a niche website. So the question is, how did you arrive at 
the need to create or the desire to create software products that either fulfill what you're trying to do and what you're teaching people to do or encouraging people to do? Um, and how did you settle on the products that you wanted to launch? So pretty much all the products that I've come up with and certainly Longtail Pro have come out of my own need, right? So back in 2009, 2010, I'm doing tons of keyword research and there just was not any good tools that were built for somebody like me doing tons of keyword research. I don't know. It just comes from the ability to, you know, I have a business background, right? MBA, maybe I'm more analytical, right? <laughs> so I'm able to look at uh, and think about, I, I, I don't know why, but I do always think about what's the opportunity here, even if it's not something that I'm involved in, right? Um, so I, I'm looking at all these keyword research tools and I, I'm thinking, what is the opportunity here? I have a need. What if I were to create one? Is there a market here? And so in doing some of that research, I clearly saw, yes, there is a market here. I, I don't, maybe it was just a late night and I wasn't thinking straight. I post a job <laughs> on uh, at the time, I think it was Elance and or maybe freelancer.com. I don't remember which one it was. Post a job and let's see how much it would cost to build a keyword research right, tool. Right. I get some bids and, um, you know, I probably never responded. You know, I could see, oh, it's going to cost this many thousands of dollars. Right. I go, oh, okay, well, give me something to think about for six months. Right. 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 And, but, but um, yeah, so just being able to, A, what are my own needs? B, look at the opportunities, and then uh, you know, C, look at the risk. You know, what's the monetary risk that's going to be involved there? And, and is it worth it, right? If it's going to cost me $20,000 or $30,000 to try this crazy idea, do I have that capital to, to try? And if I do, um, you know, maybe I'll give it a shot. So it's one lifelong experiment. You're just the, you're just the lifelong experiment guy who, who takes a highly analytical approach to viewing whether that experiment should even be started to begin with. It looks like, you know, like you won't just think that there, you don't won't just, won't just have a hunch that you could build a niche site based on this keyword or this topic or theme or whatever it is. You're going right. to do the research first, let it prove to sure. you that the niche site needs to exist or could exist. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's where I see most people fail sure. is they, they build sites on subjects that didn't need a site built on them. Where I'm arriving at is if I were somebody listening to this episode today and had been thinking I could do something similar to this and felt constrained that I'm not a developer, you've, you've completely proven that a person who's not a developer can A, develop sites that generate money, that make money and do very well. And, and you've learned that there are systems you can put in place to scale this across numerous types of sites. You've also demonstrated that you could, you, a person can learn from that and build software products to support that industry or that work and not be a developer as well. So if I were a person listening to this episode today and I wanted to think, okay, I want to do some of this stuff. Maybe the software stuff is a little bit more complicated, but I wanted to start this today. What would be the approach that you would tell somebody to start with as far as selecting a niche, taking those first few steps into this world, if they already had ability to create a WordPress site, things like that, like how would you tell somebody to start organizing themselves for success? What would you tell them to do first as far as like keyword research, the building of the, of the, of the site and so forth? Yeah, so um, it does. It comes down to a lot of research and finding a niche that sort of meets a few criteria. You know, one is, is there actually money to be made in the niche, right? That's, that's an important thing. Um, a lot of people build things on you know, random subjects that there's no products being sold, there's no money there, right? So do some research. Is there actually money being spent? You can look at, you know, what products are being sold on Amazon or there are a lot of products in the niche, right? So if you're going into the hiking niche, right? Like we all sort of intuitively know, okay, yeah, there's lots of hiking products, you know? So there's money in that niche. We know that, that checks that box. Uh, number two is, are, are there lots of low competition keywords? And this is where it takes a lot of the analysis, the keyword research is to find, you know, are there lots of, I like to find lots of keyword phrases in the niche that have small little niche websites that are ranking on the first page of Google, right? Are there currently other little teeny websites ranking on the first page of Google, right? If it's all dominated by Amazon and Best Buy and 
you know, Nate, the New York Times, whoever, right? All these large authoritative websites, like it's probably not a good niche to right, go You're not going to crack that. Right? Like you're not going to crack that, right? So, so that's the bulk of what needs to be done is the keyword research. And uh, they can go to nichepursuits.com and learn how to do that. I've written dozens and dozens of articles and videos um, on how to do that. Um, and then the third is kind of a bonus. I don't necessarily follow this, but certainly if you're going to be doing most of the work, like actually writing the articles for your site, you need to have some passion or interest in the niche. So those three uh, criteria is where I. So it's funny you say that you don't necessarily subscribe to that third one. It seems like it's an optional pillar there. It is only, only if you're going to be doing the work yourself. I mean, uh, if I'm not going to be writing the articles, why does it matter? I'm passionate about the business of building niche sites. Um, I'm not passionate about the best hammock strap. I just, I'm not. But it, it does need to be at least of interest <laughs> to you. I think that you, you calling it an interest is interesting. Um, uh, that's a bad use of words there, but is interesting because <laughs> it's one thing to be passionate about something where it consumes your mind. It's another thing to be interested in enough that you can build a business around it and be interested in the business without being put off by it. Like, you know, you just kind of, you're always, you're always procrastinating. That would be ideal, right? I agree. But you might not be passionate about would, the subject. You might ideal. just see it as a viable business opportunity, right? Yes. It's rel- relatively antiseptic yes. the, the way you view that thing, right? Yes. So if somebody were to do that and follow your three steps there, what do you think is a reasonable level of income today, not 10 years ago or seven years ago or even five years ago, um, that somebody could expect over the next 12 months and follow that path. I realize there's a million, a million variables there, but um, you know, what, what, what have you learned over time is reasonable? Yeah. I think um, shooting for a target of a thousand dollars a month after 12 months is a reasonable target. You know, that's kind of what I've done with my niche site. It's making a little bit more than that in under a year. Um, and, you know, I don't think I did anything special. I, I did it very publicly, um, shared all the steps. And so I, I think that's a reasonable target for people to shoot for. Some people might actually do more. Um, I know certain uh, bloggers that are, um, I actually think that some people that focused on their site more than I do, like, it's it's still very hands off for me. It's right. all been yep. outsourced. I most of, most weeks I don't even look at the site. Right? If I actually spent two or three hours a day on that site, uh, I I think it could be doing much more. Sure. Um, um, you know, a lot of people get super involved in in Pinterest. All of a sudden, they're getting thousands of visitors a day right. from Pinterest. Right? I'm not the one that's going to do that because I've got software products I got to build. Right. <laughs> right. Um, uh, so, but I, I think a thousand dollars is a good target to shoot for. Some could do more than that. Some might only do, you know, uh, much less than that $500 a month, but, but certainly a thousand is not out of the realm of possibility. Right. And what if somebody then did want to scale it, wanted to do this times five times, you know, 10 or something like that over the course of the next year, what would be your best advice for them as far as building system, building a system to be able to scale things in that first year. So they're, they're lock, stock and barrel uh, sold on the idea of doing what you just said and the potential outcome over the next 12 months, but they want a 5X or 10X that. Um, is there a decent resource that you would point them to that would help them start today to build 10 of these over the next 12 months? Well, I should clarify, I would not recommend building 10 websites i would recommend only building one and focusing on that one probably for the next several years um that would 100 percent be my advice i wouldn't rewind the clock back to 2009 (laughs) and try to do it like i did it 10 years ago that worked 10 years ago but what works today is one large website and i've been you know doing that for several years now um so so i wouldn't uh I wouldn't, yeah, try to build. You wouldn't recommend websites. that, and that's be is that because the the to, to in order to get the exposure and the traffic you need to turn it into money, you will you need to go deep. You need to have a site that's got some more depth to it from a content perspective. Uh, I mean, all of that sort of thing, right? The offering to the world is a little bit more robust. Is that kind of what you're suggesting? 
Um, yes and no. I mean, uh, the idea is the same. You know, let, let's say I, I back in the day, I built 200 websites. I was really just trying to rank for 200 keywords. Right. You can essentially do the same thing on one website, just have 200 articles. Gotcha. You're trying to rank for 200 articles, right? But the, the difference is, is you used to, Google used to provide a lot of different sort of um, boosts for different things. You know, I mentioned one, the exact match domains, right. right? Having exact. So that's why I built 200 websites is because I would do a lot better owning that domain than I would just putting a second article on the same website. Gotcha. Gotcha. That is that playing field has been eliminated, right? So now uh, you are just as likely to rank with a second or 200th article on your first website as you are on, you know, having 200 websites. This is fascinating. I think there's a ton of people who would love to be able to hear about, listen to you talk about this for the next four hours. Um, and, and, and for that, they can sign up for a course. <laughs> they, can, they can do whatever they like as far at nichepursuits.com. And, and we'd encourage them to do that. Um, and I should, I should mention there will no longer be any courses. On I, I actually just published a blog post just saw that this article. morning. Yes. So I know it's timely, I saw but I, I, I will no longer be selling online courses, I, you, but you can get anything I've written for free on nichepursuits.com. And actually one last question before we do a final segment that will only take a few minutes. But the last question is, you know, 14, uh, well, we'll call it about 14 years ago. You had the, uh, typical career. You're a finance guy with a massive, you know, fortune 100 company. Again, by all accounts, the job is safe and secure and all of that sort of thing, right? As far as we know, layoffs notwithstanding, job satisfaction notwithstanding, all of that sort of thing. But you, as a father of four, what, what do you feel like you've learned about the nature of a career since breaking out on your own that maybe disrupts what you would have otherwise taught your kids about how life works and how careers work and what they should do next? I have absolutely learned that the traditional corporate world is not for everyone. That sure, there's some value in being able to learn a skill in college, and um, you know, working for somebody else. Uh, there's there's nothing wrong with that. You can absolutely learn, earn a living and a good living at that. But there's a whole other world out there that I wasn't really privy to growing up. Um, and it's even now way more prevalent, of course, is this, you know, this entrepreneurship community, the, the freelance community, um, where people are able to, because of the beautiful thing of the internet that has grown over the last couple of decades, um, people like you and I, we can sit in our basements or living rooms, you know, wherever we're recording this, um, and we can create a real business that has very real income. The limitations have been removed for me. You know, I used to believe that to, to make the most money, yeah, you, you work in the corporate world. And um, I have already been actively teaching my children um, these things uh, about entrepreneurship. I've gotten my oldest son, who's 15, you know, to, to do a little things. He still likes video games more than business, granted. But the seeds have been planted for him you know, to, to maybe think about business as an opportunity. And, and, uh, I tell them, uh, that college is kind of a backup, but you gotta, you gotta follow through with that backup plan until plan That's right. works. That's good stuff. That's good stuff, Spencer. All right. So Spencer, I have a final brief segment I want to do with you that I take all of my, um, my most recent guests through that, um, will kind of help allow us to hit the, the runway. <laughs> land land this plane uh, on this ride we've been on. Thanks so much for being generous and with your time and, and open to expertise and your wisdom along the path. Um, and I'm going to put you on the spot now with three final questions. We call this segment three and one. It's three questions asking for one thing from you. Okay. You can keep your answer as short as you like, or if you want to add any additional color to it, you're welcome to. But the first one is one principle or value that you believe that most people don't. One principle or value that I believe that most people don't. I believe that that, that quiet and introvertedness is a highly valued skill. That's outstanding. The most success I've had in my business is when I'm sitting down by myself alone and thinking and pondering and developing. Uh, working inside my own brain creates the most success. And I believe that's true for most people. All right. Thank you. Uh, one behavior or habit 
that you try to stick to no matter what? Um, I always try, and because I blog, this is so important, this may not be as important. Well, it's, it's important for everyone, but I try to be 100% honest with everything that I write and put on my blog, even if that's painful to do. By being 100% honest uh, in everything that I, that I do, even if I want to say, you know what, I could easily say this website made $10,000 last month, uh, sure. right? And nobody would know, but I know. And so I've always tried to be 100% honest in, in everything that I write and put out online. And then finally, one person that you most admire that you take your cues from in life or aspire to be like? So many great people in my life. It's hard to pick one, but my dad is somebody that I've always looked to as not only a father figure, but an advisor. He's been somebody that I can call and talk with uh, about business, about life, about raising children. Um, so certainly I'd have to say my dad is that one go-to person always. That's awesome. Spencer, great answer on that one. Thanks so much for joining me today, buddy. Thank you, Brandon. It's been a pleasure. That was the story of Spencer Hawes, founder of NichePursuits.com and Longtail Pro, among other products. Stay tuned for next week as we bring you the story of Matt Givanisi, founder of SwimUniversity.com, but you may know him better as podcast host of Money Lab and founder of MoneyLab.co, as well as part-time rapper. I am the boss. I call all the shots. I run all the blocks and I talk the talks and I walk the walks. Yeah, I'm the boss. I make all the calls. I cast the checks. I'm stepping next. I know what's next and all that demand is respect. All right, a special thank you to my co-producer, Preston Lee, founder of Milo and admin of the Milo Mastermind community on Facebook, as well as our assistant, Bilal Abrar who helped put this episode together. And of course, to our friends at the Podglomerate Network. The Podglomerate. A sonic universe. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week on Freelance to Founder. Meanwhile, pass us along, share us with your friends, and reach out to me on Twitter at Brandon Hull. We'd love your rating, your review, your referral, your recommendation. We'll see you next week. 